Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Coffee and cream on Hale Varsity Radio with Andrew Rogers and Damon Benning. Hey, we are back, top of the hour, coffee and cream in the morning on Hale Varsity Radio, powered by Currency, live from the H&H Chevrolet stage at Hale Varsity Club on YouTube, on Twitter. That's Hale Varsity for both of those two. Um, and Hale Varsity Radio on Twitter, 590 ESPN Omaha, 1480 ESPN Lincoln. He's Damon Benning. I'm Andrew Rogers. Let's clear something up before we get to Brian Christofferson here. The world's largest shamrock is not a statue. It's actually painted, as a listener informed us. Shane, was Adam, was did he give you the inkling that he was make, like kind of laughing at me, or was he educating me? He was educating. It All sounded right. like I'm he, team Adam. he knew. Go, Adam. He knew that area pretty well. So. so my buddy just texted me. He said, what is O'Neill, Nebraska for 1,000, please, Alex? And I will not get into the rest hey. of what he said because he has no sense. Hey, all I know is this: it's painted in, what, the center of town at a huge road intersection, it yeah. looks like. And uh, it says every St. Patrick's Day, the O'Neill Irish dancers do um, some – Dance Irish reels and jigs on the Shamrock. They must go hard in O'Neill for St. Paddy's Day. Did they use the word jigs? They said jigs. Are you guys going? <laughs> Are you an Irish jig guy? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> nope. <laughs> Not at all. Uh, let's let's change gears. Let's talk to speak and read slowly. <laughs> let's talk to Brian Christopherson. Okay, okay Mr. Uh, Griffin the third. Hey, Brian. Good morning. What's up, man? Good morning, guys. How you doing? Hi, BC. Hey, good, good. Hey, you know, yesterday you shared something on Twitter that really got me got me at the heart. He shared the new Homer golf course. So when are we going golfing? <laughs> my uh, my brother already – I sent it to my brother, and he got us a tee time on uh, July uh, July 30th, I believe. There were Somebody told me there were no tee times at that course the rest of the year, but there were some, so if, if people are – saw that course which looked amazing i am calling um, today there, there's still opportunity yeah did you add did you make it for three like did your brother just say exclude me or what's up well there's three of us you could kick my dad out i mean that would be a real heartless thing for you to do <laughs> but uh, we can we can bring bring you along and have that conversation with my father and be like i'm sorry you're out dad um <laughs> no i can't this, i can't this, have this, you do you're that not, too. not on this one so <laughs> oh, okay. All right. But yeah, um so there are opportunities out there though. That course, man, I, I didn't even know that was happening and I yeah. saw the picture and it just like I stared at it for like ten minutes. Yeah, they talked about it being like one of the nicest courses in the world when it first was being built. I don't know if it reaches that pinnacle just yet, but it's it's pretty nice. B C Things are on the uptick around here. Yeah. I, I know you're always like, gosh, why are you always asking me these like um, perspective questions, but it's because of your temperament, right? You're just kind of even keeled. So let me ask you, it seems like sometimes we've had these conversations when a new staff arrives, 
there's like this new recruiting energy, this new recruiting buzz. And I'm like, okay, I get it. I, I saw it firsthand most recently with Coach Joseph, especially in the Metro, right? Like he really changed the narrative in a hurry with the interest in the Metro. Nebraska's current staff has almost doubled down on it. When's the do you remember a time or the last time that a school sent multiple coaches to a school intentionally at different parts of the day? I'm not saying they haven't done it before and I didn't know about it, but that does seem different to me. Uh and it, it seems um you know, all part of an aggressive plan that has really been in place since week one, since they got here, you'd have to say that yeah. uh, we're going to start here and we'll work out. But we're not going to let um, kids that are talented in this area um, think for a second that we're not looking at them, that we don't have intrigue, that we don't want to have those conversations, and we'll see where it goes from there. But um, we're going to be um, – in your territory uh, often, and we're going to send different people at you, which I think uh, just adds, you know, with, with a prospect. It's one thing when you develop a relationship with just one coach, but then you're like, okay, they're sending like two or three coaches to my school, you know. Um, that has to fire you up a little bit um, and, and, and kind of really get you thinking about that program even more, and you get to know the different personalities of the coaches, and um, I don't see how that wouldn't be appealing. So, um, you know, I wrote a couple weeks ago when Satterfield talked about maybe them having an identity on offense they can finally get behind. I think the biggest thing you could say for sure so far is they really believe in their identity as a recruiting staff and what they're all about and how they're going to attack it and the areas they're going to attack. And um, it's a well, it's a pretty well-oiled plan. It seems like every day when I wake up and kind of see where they're going and and how they how they map it out. I mean, it 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 feels like uh, it's not just flying by the seat of your pants, um, which would be easy to do right now at this early time when you just got to a program. But that's not what's happening. If you're looking for Brian's work, he's the senior writer for Husker247.com. Toss him a follow at Husker247BC on Twitter. You talk about, you know, making the making it known to these recruits that this coaching staff is interested. And you wrote an article, your most recent one actually, uh, was about the impression Matt Rule had on Dylan Rayola and his family. How realistic are the chances, though, at landing a guy like him? Yeah, well, I mean, first off, uh, Steve Wiltfong, our national writer, uh, wrote that one. So I just oh, want to be clear. So I didn't, you know, I didn't. No, that's all right. I just wanted to say that. So it's like I didn't hear the tone, you know, and stuff on the other end. It was he talked to Dominic, of course, the former Husker great um, and dad of Dylan. Um, I I'm like a lot of people who are in this industry who have sort of heard maybe that Georgia is like the front runner. Um, and so I think there's reason to say that. However, there's time. There is still time to, uh, you know, make something happen. And um, Matt Rule is going to put in uh, a good effort to try to make it happen for Nebraska. That's obvious by him going all the way out there. And if nothing else, I think he's given them a lot to think about. And, of course, 
you know, this is a family that knows the, the Husker program inside and out. So that part, um, you, you've got that advantage, you know, whenever you talk to the Riolas. I mean, that Donovan's coaching here. Donovan, you know, wants this program to really take off and fly. And um, I think it's been a special place to to Dylan, too, and because it's special to his family. I know when he first got the offer way back when, he talked about family, like even in the tweet when he t- put it out there. Um, so I don't know. I, I just I, Would I favor Nebraska at this very hour? No, I wouldn't. But you see an article like that and you, you read the quotes, and I, I think uh, Dominic Ryle is a straight shooter. Um, I, I take him at his word when he says it's, it's open. Until they say otherwise, I, you, you fight the fight and see what happens. And there are uh, a couple levers Nebraska has to pull in this one. Um, that at least make them an interesting wild card, if nothing else. And uh, maybe they're more than that. Who knows? BC, how careful or cautious are you? You know, we kind of seen this when we get guys from other schools, these assumptions are made and uh, in terms of what we're inheriting, right? We saw it with Mathis and Wynn. Although Mathis on tape um, had a lot more to go on than I would say Wynn did. But we we've seen it with... Uh, what's going on in the secondary? Guys coming from other conferences that get to Lincoln, and all of a sudden we have this this expectation. When you look at a guy like MJ, how cautious are you given where we've ramped up our expectations when we get guys from other perceived better conferences? No, that's a fair question because I, I think we do have to be careful to just be like, well, sometimes you'll hear this conversation around the state. This guy came from Georgia or this guy came from Alabama. Well, look at that. You know, he's going to be something else. Um, you know, it could be. But uh, if Nebraskans, I think, at this point have seen that um, that doesn't always translate to a guy just being a dominating player. And O'Shawn Mathis had an okay year this past year. But, um, you know, he wasn't a dominating player for certain. Um, and there was sort of that hope, and it, it was pretty built up. Uh, I would say that one was as hyped as about any. Um, and I feel like this last week there's been some proper perspective um, about M- MJ and just um, he only played 42 defensive snaps last year um, at Georgia, and the year before I think he played 91. Um, th- those were his counts. So he was mostly a special teams guy. Uh, so he's probably like fifth or sixth at his spot, you know, at Georgia. And that, um, so I think you just take that information and you say, well, um, he hasn't done, he hasn't proven it yet, but he should be a motivated guy. And just because you're fifth or sixth at your spot at Georgia doesn't mean you can't be really good here at Nebraska. Um, and, and I think you just have an open mind about it. So I do. And I want to have an open mind about everything with a new staff, like, the, the type of guys they pick from the portal, how they develop those guys. I think sometimes we like to always uh, cross over into what happened previously and we say, well, that's going to happen again. Mm. Um, and, and, and maybe it will, but, you know, let, let's give this new staff a chance to, to pluck their guys out of the portal that they think can be uh, pretty immediate contributors and then uh, give them an opportunity to develop them. And, um, I do know with Sherman uh, out of Georgia, his family and him, they are very well thought of 
from that program. I, I haven't seen this very much the way I saw it on Monday. There were a bunch of Georgia writers uh, in in our network who just were really excited for him and and were like you know wishing him that he would sort of take off at Nebraska because he had that sort of personality you gravitate toward. So I think if nothing else, Damon, that's a pretty good starting point. You've got a guy who definitely has the high-end potential. We don't have to overdo it talking about it, but it's there. And then you got a guy who, by all accounts, is just going to be good for your locker room, if nothing else, and he's going to be a guy who wants to work. And um, I mean, he had a quote I posted on Twitter when he was at Georgia where someone asked him about being like the you know third-team guy. And he said, I'm behind really great players, and I just try to learn from them. And I, 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 I can't kick rocks about it. I, I just need to put my head down and, like, look at these guys. What are they doing? And, and use it. And so I really like some of the stuff I've read from him. Call me crazy, BC, but yesterday crazy. I uh, – not DB, BC. I asked him to call me crazy, sorry, not you. Sorry, I apologize. Uh, call me crazy, BC, but uh, <laughs> yesterday I, I told DB, don't be shocked – if you see MJ Sherman as one of Nebraska's defensive captains next year, do you think that could be the case with how much he's matured as a vocal leader? And uh, because it's a new staff, you don't have to actually physically be present on this team for years before you actually get a title like that. Oh, that's an interesting idea. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I don't know what, how that'll go. That that so often comes to like just the vibe guys get you know when they're right now when they start like uh, strength and conditioning stuff it starts to build like who's really a leader on this team and um so he might have some catch-up work to do with some guys but the point you make i think is is well taken that a lot of stuff like that uh we might want to view a little bit differently this year because everybody's starting sort of with a blank slate you know with this staff and um, Matt Rule said that himself on the early signing day press conference. That's the way he wants it to be, and uh, that should—I mean—that should be exciting for some guys, not just transfers um, like MJ coming in, but I mean, there's there's players who have been in the program a couple years that we haven't heard as much from, or there's been injuries and this and that. And um, sometimes I'll I'll hear people say, "Well, is that guy going in the portal?" And I think. This would be the worst time to go in the portal for that for some of these guys. I mean, this is their chance in front of new faces to uh, to put their best foot forward and show, hey, I can be a part of this and um, and and reset the video game, so to speak. So, I do think when it comes to captains and some of that stuff, there, yeah, there's a possibility when we get to that, there could be a a guy that you wouldn't necessarily say is would traditionally have been that, but he is on that team, but. That's a ways away, and we'll, we have to see how Matt Rule likes to do his captains and all that stuff. So there's good, mm-hmm. all that stuff yet to be figured out. BC, let me ask you this: with, um, you know, you, I, again, just being measured. I think you take your time following up on some of your pieces that you're doing on 24/7 Sports, which is is really good because I like how you set the stage for like doing your homework, right? So. You're talking about Xavier Betts, and I asked you a couple weeks ago, I said, intrigued, eye roll, or you kind of get the pushback and the trepidation. As you've kind of followed this this closely, and you look at that wide receiver room and its totality, if folks maximize, right, 
the edge room, the inside backers, the safeties, the wide receivers, the tight end. If folks maximize in a particular room, what room, in your opinion, has the most upside from where we're looking at it today? Hmm. I would say right now the secondary, and my reason for that is uh, when Evan Cooper was up there last week, as he was, I asked him a question about, oh, what do you think about what you've got in the cupboard? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he gave, I guess, what you could say is, uh, some would say, well, that's coach speak. What's he going to say? Down talk his guys? No. But the way he kind of, if you listen to his tone and the way he talked about what's in there and certain guys and how he's met so much already with Marquise Buford and, uh, like, you know, Malcolm Hartzog and, and guys like that, I started thinking more about the defensive backfield. I was like, those guys are all still around. Like, you I mean, Gifford's still there and, and Quinton Newsom's still there. And so I think sometimes there's an assumption that everybody in this portal era, like, two or three of those guys are going to skip out of town or something, or there maybe was that thought in early December. And that whole, like, starting secondary is sort of still in place. And so I, I, my answer is the one I give because I think there's a foundation that where maybe there's some concrete set now. I, I feel like a lot of those guys had to go through the growing pains last year. Certainly Buford had to do some of that, and I know he's coming off an injury and he's going to have to work back from that. Um, but I, I just feel like as that season went along and you thought about how they were playing at the end of it, uh, there were guys starting to grow more comfortable in how to be a college football player at this level. And so that's why I give the answer I do. Now, if you wanted to go a different route um, with with Xavier and, you know, the, the it's seeming like Isaiah Garcia Castaneda is maybe a part of the mix too now. How about that? Um, how about that curious case? IGC's got nothing on Benjamin Button. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, um, the thing I remember about him is uh, coaches last fall camp uh, before, you know, things kind of got a little sideways. They really talked about him as a, I, as a worker. I, like, I, I was, a I'm in that like, camp. I was in that camp. I loved IGC. And he was hurt. Yeah. As a guy. Yeah. As it, as a, so I, what I guess I'd say to this is I think people should be, careful with any preconceived notions about this guy or that guy like a new like whether it's uh, Garcia Castaneda or Xavier like or if they they're coming back is that going to mess up the apple cart or something like that I don't think that at all I really don't I don't think I, I I believe both those guys can fit back in and it's just about putting the work in and showing like I want to be a part of this and uh I'm with you. And if if they do that, especially as we've talked about earlier in the segment with a fresh start for everyone, um, there's a lot of talent with both those guys. I mean, if you think about the first game last year, Isaiah was the guy who had 120 yards or whatever, and I know he had the fumble, or we can question if it was a fumble that ended up being costly. But if people remember on that play, you saw what he's like in space, where he made about two or three guys missed before the the ball came out on inside the 15. So he's got some wiggle to him. And uh, I think he's a guy who's, uh, when his mind is on it, he's a pretty determined dude. And I know Xavier can be that way as well. So 
um, you know me, Damon. I'm rated. I'm rooting big for like those type of stories. Like yep. I love guys that some. We all get knocked down with things in life, and I love when guys come back, and I love when coaches um, do their research on a guy and they give a, a player a second chance. And I think Rule Staff has done that with people before, and they've had success, and there's no reason they couldn't again. Hey, BC, yesterday we had a conversation, DB and I went back and forth about what position group would be more likely for Tony White to attach himself to. I said, um, or maybe spend the most time. I said the defensive line. He said the secondary, and and he went that route because uh, of what he said about the secondary. But in your opinion, where is he focusing? Because w- when I looked at the defensive line, I said, well, at Syracuse, they said, hey, we're not allowing them to run the football. But uh, like, I, like DB had um, in conversations with them about the secondary, um, he, he thought the latter. So I'm interested to get your viewpoint on that. Especially given how glowing you were about the secondary and their upside. Yeah, um, that's a tough one. I, I, I have no certainty to that the answer, but I do, I do think that with, um, you know, Evan Cooper is listed as the entire DB's coach, which is a big responsibility. I mean, we saw that last year. Remember when Mickey took over, one of the first things he did was he said, um, I've got to take a little weight off Travis Fisher. Like, I, I'm going to have him work with, I think, to get the corners, and uh, Bill Bush was going to work with the safeties. And he talked about how that's the way it is at a lot of programs he's been. I think there's a lot of ways you can do it, uh, but I would understand if, um, in in this case, if if you had another guy who uh, gave a little bit more attention to either the safeties or the corners, well, well, Cooper, uh, you know, attached himself to another part. But I don't know that for sure because the way Cooper spoke about it uh, a week or so ago, he's like, yeah, that's my group, the whole group. So he might be used to that, and they have a method for doing it that's just fine and. It works for them, but my first guess would maybe be secondary, I guess, just because of, like, I think, I feel like the safety spot in particular is one that it's, to me, like the quarterback, your defense so much, like those guys have to know every little nuance, otherwise it's a 65-yard touchdown the other way where the band's playing, so um, if I were a DC, I would always want to be pretty tight with my safeties, and that's the only reason that's my my, uh, I guess, wild guess in January about what's, what he might do with that. BC, I'm low-key back-patting yeah, I myself. Wish, I wish I, you didn't say that. Because I'm get, I'm get, <laughs> I guess safeties, too. Let me get let me get you out of this, BC, because you said something I think was funny. You talked about we have to be careful about, you know, the accolades we, or the expectations we put on guys just based on where they came from. You know a prime example of that? Because he's one of my favorites because I'd play with him. How, how about Marcus Washington, who's kind of an afterthought? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. He's a late addition. and Man, down the stretch last year, how consistent was he? He came from a good school. We didn't really – we weren't really enamored by him. And he could be a leader in that room this year. Yeah, he, he, he should be. And, um, yeah, if people look at what he did the last few games. Just like tough. even. Even the Michigan game, which is a sad story to think about uh, with, with what that was on offense, but, like, he caught – he was the guy who caught, like, the 30-yard pass mm-hmm. early. And uh, the only guy who did anything, really, in that game on offense. Um, and so I, I felt like he gained a lot of comfort. There was a few drops earlier in the year, and I, I, I think he was starting to get past that a little bit. Uh, but 
yeah, pretty good route runner, and um, there's no reason a guy like that um, doesn't have, you know, I would say like 600 some yards in him. I think he, I think he's that type of receiver, and I don't know that Nebraska has to have Trey Palmer again, but if you have Marcus and you get a Xavier and you get Alante going and you have like four or five you feel really good about, you can get a lot done with that. BC, man, you are one of the best. Efficient, too. Cannot wait to talk to you again next week. Thanks so much. Thanks, B. Yep, thanks, guys. Senior writer for Husker 24-7, Husker247BC on Twitter. Andy Kendi, sports director at KETV, next.